Hey everybody, welcome to episode 15 of the For the Love Data podcast. I'm your host, Robert Furr, a consultant with Capco out of Dallas, Texas, and I am super excited for this episode because I finally have a co-host again. It's been about 10 episodes or maybe more since someone joined me on this, uh, and we are going to have a very lively discussion about all things barbecue. Um, we're going to talk about pellet grills and the big green egg and how the pellet grill is the, the, the best one of all. But let me introduce to you guys first uh, my co-host for the day. Uh, he's actually my neighbor, Colby Pritchett. Yep, yep. Good to be here. Thanks for coming, man. I'm sure you had a long, long trip over here, yep. uh, like 500 feet yep. of the commute. It's, uh, it's not too far. Uh, occasionally, Robert will shoot a potato launcher at my house. So I haven't quite got my aim dialed in yet, but I'm working on that. So It's super close, but yeah, good, <laughs> glad to be here. It's exciting. So, and the topic's exciting. So, so Colby is a jack-of-all-trades. He is a, a good friend of mine. He is a writer on the side. He is in software sales at IBM. Um, he's got a little bit of background in finance. He's been around Texas and a few other places, spent a little time in California. And he is definitely a wine and a, and a bourbon connoisseur. So we may have to have him back uh, to delve into some other topics here as well. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, a couple of housekeeping tips here. If you hear um, any background noise, that may be uh, some construction that's going on at another house in the neighborhood. So I apologize if you can hear that. Um, and also, this topic it turned out to be a lot bigger than we expected. And so we've got tons of stats, tons of data. It's all going to be on the show notes uh, that'll be at ForTheLoveOfData.com. So I highly suggest you check that out in addition to listening here. Um, but we're going to go ahead and get started. We're going to cover um, some things about history, uh, the different styles of barbecue, uh, specifically talk about types of brisket, um, some data on brisket sales and things like that. And then we're going to uh, move into specifically pellet grills, which I own a, um, uh, a pellet grill and I have had it for about a year. And Colby is on the other side with the Komodo style Green egg. green egg. Yep. And uh, so, so we'll have a uh, compare and contrast on that, and then hopefully, lastly, we'll close up with some health tips that uh, that were pretty enlightening. Because as I've eaten barbecue, I've loved the taste, but I've secretly always worried, man, is all of this like fatty goodness and all of the char really taking years off my life? And I feel like there's an inverse proportion to how much I like the barbecue and how bad it's got to be for my health. Right. So, so we can dig into some of those health. Uh, concepts later would be interesting yeah for sure all right so let's uh let's talk a little bit about history and colby you found some of this stuff so go over some of the things that you found most interesting here yeah i mean essentially barbecue evolved from the spanish word barbacoa i mean how many of us has been to a spanish restaurant before and seen that on the menu but never really um never really knew that that's where it tied to but the origin um is actually still kind of debated. So it, it, it does come from that Spanish word, but it doesn't necessarily come from Spain, you know? So yeah. I think that's interesting. You would think it came from Texas. I guess it doesn't. Me being the egotistical Texan, that's what I always thought. But, yep. <laughs> uh, but actually, as you'll see in some of the stats that we have too, uh, I mean, some of the styles of cooking and, and grilling and some of the barbecue grills that are popular today have uh, actually had roots that go back thousands of years even. Yep, even all the way back to George Washington, colonial era. Um, and, you know, I think what's interesting is the type of woods we cook with. Like, I'm, I know I can testify to this, mesquite, uh, hickory, cherry wood, pecan. I use all that on the green egg. I've never played with apple much um, and maple wood, but I'd like to. But I just always thought it was interesting how different woods – bring a different flavor of smoke you know the subtleties like that you um, should try putting this apple in front of you on the grill see how it does yeah it's his apple computer it may yeah. not it may not uh have the nicest flavor <laughs> if you throw that under some chicken or something like that that's blasphemy <laughs> so the other thing um that uh that i actually didn't realize when we started talking about this topic but may is national barbecue month oh yeah so the timing of this episode is perfect leading into the month of may and so we're facing uh, a nice bit of rain here in, in DFW area today, but hopefully over the next few weeks we can fire up the grills, maybe have a little rib competition or something like that. I did find out the biggest barbecue in the world, which 
I thought was in Texas, but it wasn't. So it turns out that it was done by some people in the Philippines, and it was eight, uh, 20,000 feet long. That's wow. how big it 8, was. 8,000 meters. That's yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it took, um, I think, 8,000 people to help uh, cook it and, and 480 blocks of ice. And I mean, that would have been an awesome party to show up at. But Man. So th they had 8,000 grills working together. And this said they did, uh, what was it, 6,000 bags of charcoal and 50,000 kilograms of fish. Yeah. That is amazing. That's like, a, what, a hundred and... 40, 100, 120,000 uh, or so pounds of fish. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's all about the styles, you know, there's different styles out there. Yeah, so talk about some of those that you found. I, I mean, I've heard like Kansas City ribs, you know, um, and, and and things like that, but go over some of the different styles that you that you came across when you were looking at Yeah, because a lot of times you think barbecue is the same, you know, I, I did. Um, I just thought barbecue is barbecue, but I guess each region kind of has a different twist based on their culture. Um, but North Carolina kind of is revolved around the pig or the whole hog. That's what they're known for. Um, I know Arkansas is like that too. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, they chop it up, mix it with vinegar, that whole deal. See, the but, vinegar thing kind of doesn't, uh, doesn't sit well with me. I'm not a, a super lover good. of vinegar. Yeah. And so I always prefer the, the, the much sweeter sauces. But you'd probably like Memphis because it's yeah. all about the ribs there. Yeah, I love ribs, A. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I used to love the really saucy ones, and I thought the sweet sauce is what made the rib amazing. But more recently, over the past few years, I've started appreciating the dry rubs more. I have too. Yep. Uh, but those, those are really those, – that's what Memphis is more kind of, I guess, known for is the ribs, um, which that's my favorite. And then brisket is my other favorite, but uh, – which I think, I think Texas is actually – more Tech, equivalent with brisket. I think so. Texas has to be the king of brisket. I mean, you can get good brisket in multiple places, but um, I think that's kind of our, our signature thing with the, you know, the really heavy pepper rub and a lot of a lot of char built up on the on the seasoning there. So. And I guess Kansas City is kind of known for the melting pot of beef. If you ever get that plate, that's like a little bit of everything. That's yeah. kind of what their signature is. What but. is it? I think uh, Jack Stack is a really awesome barbecue joint in Kansas City. I went and visited a friend there a couple of years ago. And so if you're in that area, uh, I would definitely recommend checking, checking out. I think it's Jack Stack. So another thing that we came across is, uh, and, and I kind of knew some of these grades, but I didn't realize how many different grades of brisket there were. So we're specifically <clears throat> going to shift over to brisket for a little while. So at the lowest level, there's utility and then standard. And then the levels that you commonly see in most stores are select, choice, and prime. And so each of these levels go up a little bit higher in quality, also a little bit higher in the amount of fat that they have. So the more fat that they have, the more marbled it, it's going to be, the, uh, the more um, flavor that you're going to get from it. And, and then after choice is prime. So select is 2 to 4% fat, um, choice is 4 to 10% fat. Prime is um, anywhere from 10 to 18% fat, and it goes up, uh, you know, more expensive as you go along. And then um, kind of the top of the, the line is Wagyu, and I forget what the... Um, oh, man, yeah. Uh, have, have you ever had Wagyu? I have. It's I, expensive, too. It is. So I've only had probably a couple ounces of it just because I haven't been able to, uh, to bring myself to to pay um, for that at a restaurant. A <laughs> now I will say um, there's a butcher shop close to our house and so I'll give a little shout out to Hershey's Meat Market here in Plano. That's where yeah. I tend to get a lot of my stuff. Every once in a while they will have a sale where the Wagyu brisket will be the same price as the, their, their normal price for Prime. Mm -hmm. And man, if you get that, we will jump on it. So we have like an email alert uh, from them. And that's what you should do anyway in my opinion is support your local butcher, you know, because they have they're more in touch with the farms and the farmers. They've been doing business for years with those guys, especially if it's a butcher shop that's been around for a long time. I mean, you got your Whole Foods and stuff, but I mean, they're pretty proud of their prices. So, uh, I, yeah. don't know, I like to go to the butcher. Yeah, I don't go there all the time, but if I have a cookout I want to do or something specific, I definitely, definitely go there first. Uh, the other thing on the show notes you'll see, we have a picture of Choice, Prime, Wagyu, and Prime Aged, and you can see the marbling go up 
between Choice Prime and Wagyu. Yeah. Um, and even though it's raw, it's just looking so good here. It's making my mouth water. Uh, another thing that we that, that we came across that was interesting is if you look at the uh, the total breakdown of how much of the meat in the U.S. is different grades, 40% is that that bottom level select. Another 37% is choice um, uh, of small marbling, and then the next 20% is choice with with higher marbling, and then prime only makes up 3% of the overall um, chart of USDA grade beef. Wow. So I was really surprised when you look at that. It's it's not as surprising to see the price difference when you think that only three percent of the meat that's prime or three percent of the beef that's out there that you're going to see at the store or whatever is is prime level. True, true. We came across some nutrition things too that compared beef and chicken and pork and salmon, and there was a surprising insight that that Colby noticed on that. Yeah, I always think you know out of beef, chicken, pork, I always just think that fish would be or fish I, I would be like the most healthiest you know yeah. in my mind I always do yep um, the least fat and all that stuff um, but what I found to be interesting that when you compare beef chicken salmon and bison which is buffalo meat um, it turns out that the lowest amount of fat is really in the bison um, yeah and I know there's good fat in salmon but um, there's also some good fat in bison because they're grass-fed naturally, mm-hmm. so you don't have to ask for a grass-fed bison because they—that's what they eat already. And so you're going to get a leaner cut of meat, you know. And um, it also has more protein—28 grams of protein—versus that same cut of meat uh, having 25 grams of protein in the salmon. So you get less fat, you get more protein. Yeah, it's across lo- the board. Lower calories I mean, in the bison, lowest cholesterol in the bison. That um, was shocking. The highest see. amount of iron in the bison and the highest amount of vitamin B12 in the bison. Actually, salmon's the only one that kicks the butt there on uh, the vitamin B12. That's the highest. But everything else, the bison wins if you're looking at nutrition. Yeah, the only th- the only reason I think you would, you would specifically choose like salmon over bison if you're going only on nutrition lines is if you really wanted to get more like omega-3 uh, fats in your diet. Yeah. But the interesting thing about this, this is so nutritious. I'm going to have to go out and experiment with some bison. The challenge with it though is because it's so lean, I think it's going to be tend to be a little bit tougher or maybe a little less flavorful. So no, I don't know what... It's a little less flavorful than like your fatty beef, yeah. that, you know, the marbleized beef or the I mean, basic let's be honest, beef. The fat is what gives it all the yummy, yummy flavor. Right, yeah. but it's still, it's beef. I mean, it's still got a good natural flavor on its own, you know, even without so much fat. So I usually will take bison and I'll do ground bison and make tacos out of that. Okay. Um, or I'll mix it up in some chili or whatever. So looking at this chart here, bison, a serving size of bison, 100 grams, 3.5 ounces, has two, a little over 2 grams of fat. Choice beef. The, uh, that middle layer, not select, which is the lowest, not prime, which is the highest, choice, which is in the middle, has 18 grams of fat. So we're talking nine times as much fat in choice beef as there is in bison. That's and, amazing. And that's, no like, that's like the lowest grade of the meat. Not lowest grade, but you know what I mean. Well, like there's select and then there's choice and then there's prime and wagyu. So prime and wagyu are going to have even more fat than that. Mm-hmm. So it's just not listed on, the, uh, on that chart that we found. Oh, okay. You're right. So one thing, let's dive into some of the sales statistics that we found. Um, this was a little bit tricky because we found a, a lot of places that had some stats, but they weren't incredibly holistic without paying money. And unfortunately, I, I don't have the uh, the sponsorship on this podcast yet that lets me pay for extensive yes. market data. Um, but as you guys come on board and, and rate the podcast and things, hopefully we'll, we'll get to that point. Um, but we did find some things on sales and pricing uh, that showed some surprising insights. Uh, so one of the things we found was for the past, uh, from about Q1 of 2015 to Q1 of 2016, we found a year of data on brisket sales. And overall, it's somewhere between 8 and 14 million pounds of sales every quarter, which is just a crazy amount yeah. if you think about it. And there was a little bit of uptick in Q2 and, uh, versus the other quarters. and. I guess, I guess we were talking weather's. before, and maybe it's the weather. Uh, you know, barbecue season is, is yeah. just starting then, springtime. 
And so that's actually one of the smaller windows here in Texas that we have consistently good barbecue weather all the time. And then it kind of peaks up again, you know, kind of like early fall, you know, as it mm -hmm. starts to get cooler again. In Texas here in October even, it's still kind of warm. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, different types of the year, you, definitely the weather definitely affects barbecue. That, that definitely is true. There's also a breakout. Don't don't scroll down yet, Colby. I'm going to quiz you here. What do you think is the um, what holiday do you think most brisket is sold for? I'll give you choices: Memorial Day, Father's Day, Fourth of July, Labor Day. Which one do you think is the highest? I think I already saw this answer. Um, and I you cheating rascal! I I think it was July Fourth. Uh, You're right. Yeah. So yeah, and actually, I mean, so many people cook out on July 4th, I don't think that's really any, any tremendous surprise, but um, there's about 3.2 million pounds of brisket that are sold on 4th of July. Just that day alone? Uh, yeah, for that weekend. And I think, if I remember Ooh. right, it's, um, it may, it may encompass uh, like the week before, so like the total sales in, in that time frame, anticipating that it's going to be attributed to that holiday. Uh, Memorial Day is uh, about 2.3 million. So really, if you look at it, Father's Day is about 1 million, just a little bit north of that. Memorial Day is a little bit north of 2 million. Fourth of July is a little bit north of 3 million. Um, so there's just like a lockstep increase there of a million hmm. pounds for each each holiday there. So that's a lot of good brisket if you think of a million pounds being cooked. That means there's less for us to eat if they're eating all that stuff, which is probably why the price has gone up in brisket. Yeah, it's that's because true. The, the, the supply has gone down. So what's funny is I don't remember there being as many amazing barbecue restaurants like five years ago as there are now. Or maybe I just wasn't in love with it as much that I didn't go. But as we started looking at the price, you know, it, it it's this is one of the challenging things because you can – the challenging thing about brisket is you can go to the store, you can buy one, you can invest all this time in it, and you can make it, and it'll be good. But at the end of the day, you've spent hours of your time cooking, and uh, you know you you could contrast that with like Pecan Lodge, which is my favorite brisket place here in the Metroplex. And you can just roll up there, have an awesome meal, not have to do any of the cleanup. Right. And you look at the price there, and so I always have this like kind of personal dilemma: like, is it worth? the time and the effort to do all of this myself versus just going and paying a little bit more there, but you're really paying for the service and the convenience. You gotta be in the mood to cook. If you're if you you're gonna be a barbecue enthusiast, you gotta be up for the ride, the journey. Like you gotta you gotta get excited about going to the butcher. You yeah. gotta get excited about coming up with a different seasoning, having it cook on there for several hours and checking on it. Like that's gotta be something you enjoy. And I think it is, but it's always convenient yeah, to have someone do it for you, but you know, you get for the money, you can buy a better cut of meat or yeah. buy more. And that meat is true, and is have true. leftovers. And yeah, and I guess stuff. the one the one wild card on this is I'm never gonna go buy a whole brisket at no Con Lodge, no. but if I cook one, I'll have enough left over for but several here you meals. Will. Exactly. You know, um, you can feed your neighbor. Yes. <laughs> Now, talking about the whole process, and we'll get into this more when we talk about the, the pellet grill, I think, but I'm, a, I'm much more of a science the heck out of the cooking than I am art, and I think you can tell that by the, this podcast. You know, I'm yeah. all about data. I want to like throw as much science and get the exact best meal that I can, and so as much as I love cooking and, and barbecuing, I still have that challenge where I'm not the guy that is you know, totally into the art of cooking and just wants to spend the whole day doing that. I would like to get things started, make sure it's exactly on point, yeah. go off, do something else, come back. But that's also the good thing about a green egg, right? Or maybe a pellet. Definitely a pellet grill. Is that you can throw it on and you can leave and go run some errands or go play outside or whatever and mm -hmm. come back and it's fine. It's You can't do that with stuff in the oven necessarily. Like, yeah. You know what and I mean? both so, of these have come a long way from the little charcoal grills that you yeah, have that are really so thin. It's not as much of a pain that. as it seems like. So one of the things that is a pain, though, that we did notice is if you look at the wholesale price of brisket, um, and we've got a graph that is going back from uh, 1995 forward, and I think this came from uh, the website 538, which is a great website if you guys haven't checked it out. They've, they've got a lot of good information on there. Um, but you can see, starting in around 2005, 
there has just been a steady march upward of the price of all meats, but specifically brisket. And in like 2013, brisket took a Mount Everest slope ascent um, upwards. And so between, say, 1995 and It took a spike in 2004 for some reason. Yeah, well, so between 95 and 2015, the price of brisket has gone up 200%. And I don't know what the I don't know what the, the the rise was attributed to in 2004. Maybe it was because that was the year I graduated, and there was a lot of barbecuing going on in College Station or something. Um, but some of the things that are um, leading to this price increase are the size of U.S. cattle herds are shrinking. So it was about 97 million head in 2007. Um, seven years later, it's down to 88 million. Um, the price of fertilizer and feed has risen. And, the, and there have been droughts. So you've got the supply of cattle shrinking, you've got the inputs to take care of it um, rising, and you've got the, like, the, the water that they need to take care of them also uh, shrinking. But so, it did, see, like, the way I see that kind of, like, that might be true, but then you also have throughout, since 1995 till now, we've occasionally had years where it didn't rain as much, and we've had people eating a lot of beef and we've had rising prices on everything yeah so i'm like how much is that is that's really what it's attested to and how much of it it's like that's part of it but it's also the fact that it's become a business and this whole meat industry has gotten insane because in if you look at 2014 the price of brisket alone went up what a hundred percent 150 percent yeah so just just in the last you know couple of years like but yeah. only brisket. Well, what about the rest of the meat? Yeah, and so some of that may be the wholesalers knowing that's that what there's I'm that much demand. Because so. if it, it otherwise, all the meat cuts would have gone up. But just brisket, because they know it's popular. You know. I think it's. I, don't know, I, man. I think we're getting hit from both ends we by are, the popularity but... on the consumer side, and then by the just the natural inputs on, on the other it's side. It's like anything: the demand goes up, the price goes up, right? Yep. And actually, if you look too. Um, We've got a graphical picture here. We found a cow, and we'll call it. We'll call her Betsy here, um, and it breaks down the different t- the different parts of the cow: the ribs, the round, the brisket, and you can see all of them have risen, but the one that's risen the most uh, looks to be brisket, and actually ribs as well had a had a pretty good increase there. The most popular. Now, so okay, tell me about some of your favorite barbecue joints around Texas. Man, you know, I've never tried that Pecan Lodge, but in Dallas, like, that is famous. Uh, You've never had Pecan Lodge? It's known about nationally, you know. Um, Hang on, time out. You've yeah. never had Pecan Lodge? Uh-uh. Okay. I've never wanted to wait in the line. In the next few weeks, we need to go. You need to make a trip down there for lunch. I will meet you. We'll bring a couple of friends, and we'll go down there, and we'll use yeah. my secret that gets you through the line quickly. I'm not going to say what the secret is on the podcast. If people want to know, you can send me a tweet or send me a, a, you're welcome a note to come. or something like that. Yeah, we'll, we'll throw out a date for anyone that contacts us, and you're welcome to come, and Colby will pay for your barbecue. Yep, there you go. Oh, he even said it on the podcast. Wow. Um, man, if you haven't had Pecan Lodge, you have to check it out because it's my favorite in the Metroplex. Yeah, I like Lockhart, but... Lockhart um, is good, too. I think it's... Maybe just behind it is number two. Right. For me personally. Right. Have you ever been down to Franklin's in Austin? I haven't. I haven't either. Now, that's the one. I'm not willing to sit in that line Mm -hmm. and and commit to that. But one of the cool things that we found is uh, some people have surveyed different barbecue joints around the U.S. And I I pulled out the ones in Texas that I knew or I'd heard about. Uh, And they talk about different stats, uh, like how much brisket they go through, how much sausage how much sides they go through, and some of this is just mind-blowing to think about. So 1050 Barbecue, which is on Highway 75, it's like 75 in Arapahoe, really solid barbecue joint, Um, definitely if you're in uh, the Plano or North Texas area, or North DFW area, they go through 2,100 pounds of brisket a uh, a, a week, so a ton of brisket a week. But Pecan Lodge goes through 6,700, so they go through three times as much brisket. Now, 1050 does more sausage than Pecan Lodge does, which was kind of interesting. But Franklin's rules them all with over 10,000 pounds of brisket every week. 
5,000. Uh, so imagine other restaurants in the country doing right. similar numbers, and you think, where do all these cows come from? Like, there can't be that many cows out five, there. Like, five tons, yeah. How do the cows reproduce quick enough? It's crazy, because it, it we're like is. meat whores over here. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's a title that I'm not. I'm honestly not that that sad to hold. I guess we may have to put that as the as the title of this podcast, the the meat horrors episode. <laughs> the other thing, Pecan Lodge said they go through four thousand pounds of mac and cheese, sixteen hundred pounds of beans. Um, Ten fifty said they sell sixty five hundred torpedoes. Which, if you guys haven't had that, have you have you had ten fifty? No. Oh man, we got to get out more. You've been cooking on that green egg too much. We gotta sample some other ones and steal mm. some uh, steal some recipe ideas. But their torpedoes are their like jalapeno poppers. It's like brisket filled jalapenos um, that I think might be batter dipped and then and then grilled. Um, both 1050 and Pecan Lodge go through about 4,000 rolls a week. And I mean, if you think about that too, like how much grain is required to make 4,000 rolls? Uh, and and Pecan Lodge reported that. Brisket is their single largest expense across the board. Um, that's more than they pay for rent at their facility in Deep Ellum. It's more than they pay for electricity. All in all, uh, definitely some, some crazy, just mind-blowing stats there for three of the top-notch barbecue joints here. So if anybody has any, um, any other barbecue joints that you're big fans of, I would love to know the stats on those if you have any. So definitely send me a message if you, if you have those. I wonder what most people own like grill or versus a smoker or charcoal grill like I wonder I think we've we've got some stats on that let me see if I can dig that up the other thing that I want to mention while I'm here being the the super big data dork that I am I did find an article where Dickies is actually working with a third-party vendor um, to, to use big data um, and do real-time analytics of their store data so they, they get data synced up corporately every 20 minutes or so from all of their, their stores to look at sales trends and inventory. Um, I think one of the vendors they use is called iOLAP. Um, they use a product called Yellowfin BI and they use SyncSort um, and they host all of that on Amazon Redshift. And so what they're doing is they're actually pulling in this data real time. And if they notice that they had a lot of ribs at a particular store but those aren't selling well that day, they can actually on the fly create a campaign Instantly. and send out a text message and say, hey, we're having a ribs promotion here today. Very smart. And so it's not – sometimes it's a way to drive clients in, but sometimes it's a way just to give people an incentive to come in and eat up an inventory that otherwise would spoil. Yeah, get rid of inventory. And, so. and like I always thought about, hey, you can use data to drive customers, like find, mm -hmm. the, find the, the best thing to get them in the door. But I never really thought about it on the back end as, hey, let's use this as a real-time way to keep something from spoiling. Yeah, and know how much we need to reorder or not reorder on the next round. Yeah. You know, based on trends and what did people buy the most that last month. Like, I I love data. I love technology. That's why I'm in that field. It's yeah. great. All right. So, yeah, you're right. We, we did um, pull down some stats here on what uh, different people own. So these numbers don't total up to 100 because most people, a lot of them will own multiple types of grills. Oh, um, but people that own a grill or smoker is 75% of, of households. 62% um, have a gas grill and 53% have a charcoal grill. Now you'll notice pellet grill, which is what I have, isn't on here. Um, and I think that's because it's still relatively niche. It's like maybe three to 5% of the market. Would you say that's a so. grill slash smoker? It could be, um, it's kind of, you could use it as both, like the green egg? They market them as a grill that can do anything from smoking to cooking a steak. Yeah. I personally would consider a smoker. I would too. Um, That's the way I look at the green egg, but I, I do well. I, so grill on there too. I yeah. can sear a steak or yeah. I can, you know. So the difference is the green egg, you can get like a thousand degrees on that thing and cook yeah, a steak in like two minutes. Yeah, because it's better than the pellet. No, I wouldn't say that. It's just different. How many how many brisket can you fit on your your green egg there? Well, it's an extra time? large. Now you know just large. How many how many brisket can you fit on that grill? I've never time? tried to see without it without a without a shelf. We should figure that out. I bet I, I I bet my cooking area on the first shelf alone 
is probably 50 to 100% more than yours. I don't know about that. We'll have to we'll okay, have to just we'll really see. test it out cuz I've put on like a whole Why don't you wheel yours I over put here? on some brisket. I've had ribs on there and a whole chicken and still had real estate left over. Why don't you wheel yours over here to my backyard and just leave it there? Dude, that thing I'll, is I'll heavier than when I have freaking time. There's no way I can reel it. That way I can that way I can just have both. Here's what we'll do. We'll we'll both cook the same thing and but we'll compare it. We should. Um, we need to go get the exact same meat, right. exact same gravy, same exact wood. same place, about the exact same size. Yeah, same wood, or same, same, same seasoning. Flavor. Yeah, yeah, and we'll just see which one has more smoke, which one's yeah. better. Yeah. So, how many do, do you have? Just the green egg, or do you have any other grills? Um, I have just the green egg. I have debated getting another grill just to do a quick, you know, sear job if I want to cook something like that, but. Um, I really don't would rather not spend the money just because technically you can warm up there's a misconception about the green egg you know it takes so long to heat up and it really doesn't like mm -hmm. you can you can put all the coal on one side and get one side of it really going hot and put your steaks on that side okay. if you want like it's it's not it doesn't take long um, but it is kind of convenient on a regular grill just to turn on the electrical or the yeah. gas and just yeah, so that's, like, I have a natural gas grill um, that plugs into a gas line at the house, which is really nice and convenient, and then I have the pellet grill. And definitely, if you're cooking something fast, like hot dogs or something like that, yeah. I'll cook on, on the natural gas grill. If I, want, if I want really hot direct heat, I'll use that. It um, probably just takes me 15 minutes longer to cook something, you know, grill something quickly on the green egg, which is not bad. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, that's definitely not. Because I noticed one thing, man. I noticed that everything I've cooked on that egg has been juicier versus the regular grill. Really? It's hmm. So it's worth that extra 15 minutes for the juice I get and that's retained in the meat for me. But to each his own. So... One interesting stat that I came across, and this is just mind-blowing to me, is that from Memorial Day through Labor Day, when you total up all the hot dogs that Americans are eating, it comes out to roughly 820 hot dogs a second being eaten. That's like that Chinese guy that ate all he could. The Kobayashi or yeah. whatever his name is? Yeah, I mean, it's that's incredible. <laughs> I can't imagine. Oh, man. I had a coworker that went to the Dollar Dogs night at uh, at the Rangers game this past week, and he ended up having five that night. So he he did his part contributing to this statistic. And I love hot dogs, but my goodness, that is that's a lot of manufactured I was, meat being, I was being consumed at one every second. Just the other day, I was at gym and I was listening to an old Steve Martin, you know, the the comedian yeah. actor. Yeah, uh, stand-up podcast from like the '70s, and he was like, "People always say hot dogs are so bad for you, and they're they're not healthy. You shouldn't eat them." And he's like, "But it doesn't really bother me because I love animal lips." <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of like funny because you're like, "Yeah, it's probably not real meat in there, especially the Oscar Mayer stuff." Yeah, but I do love a good hot dog. I'll tell you that, especially at the baseball game. So, have you ever heard Steve Martin play the banjo? Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he is. I had no idea. He's got kind of a major second career. He's got going a, on that. another band. And he's that released he's a couple of albums with yeah. it. So. Multi-talented like ourselves. Yes. So one of, the, one of the things that I came across that was a little bit, uh, a little bit sad to hear um, was some of the stats when you think about the, uh, what, when, when we collectively in the U.S. grill for an hour, um, it's the same as, like basically we're burning a little over 3,000 railroad cars full of coal. Wow. Which is, I mean... For one hour of grilling. For one, for one hour of grilling. It's the same as operating a coal-fired power plant for two months straight. So if all U.S. grill owners got together, you know, social media, and they said, hey, let's all turn on our Flash grills... Flash mob grill. For one Go. hour, then we would be burning over 3,000 railroad loads of uh, coal. Yeah. And I think it looks like uh, the coal fired is enough to operate a power plant for two months straight. Yep. Or driving about 123,000 cars nonstop. And so if you figure, I'm from Lubbock. Lubbock has a little over 200,000 people. Let's just ballpark that, uh, well, no, actually most people would have their own car. 
So I was going to try to say it's roughly equivalent to Lubbock driving nonstop for a year, but it's even a, a smaller city than that. Well, according to uh, that, we need to get in the coal business then. <laughs> That's crazy. So actually, surprisingly, coal, this is a topic for another day, but coal prices have been uh, going down because of the rise in natural gas uh, exploration and things like that. Anyway, different topic for a different day. Um, so if you look at the, the, the types of grills that are out there and, and who owns most of them, gas grills are about 60%, well, a little under 60%. Charcoal is 40%, so your green egg would be in that 40%. And then electric grills, that would probably be mine, the pellet grill, because it is a type of electric grill. There are some that are electric, but they're not pellet. Uh, but all of that lumped together is about 2%. Yeah. So, in other words, not a real smoker. It means it's the secret, and not uh, not everybody knows the awesomeness that is the pellet grill. So, what do you say we start comparing and contrasting? Yeah, let's two? break down the pellet grill and the green egg. When you could compare the green egg, maybe to a Komodo, whatever that other brand is, but. Well, yeah, so Komodo um, is the, the style. style. But there's yeah. another Komodo style. There's a, there's, there's a brand called Komodo Joe. Right, that's that what I'm competes of. with the green egg. So maybe six one way, half a dozen another. Maybe those are similar. I don't know. I haven't cooked on this Komodo Joe alleged. This grill. alleged Komodo. But I do know, <laughs> I can testify to the juiciness of the green egg, and I have friends that use it. And I've had your brisket on the pellet grill, and it was really good as well. But again, better you don't than, know better than the, better than the subtle egg. differences until you try them back to back. And That's true. they might come out the same, which then it's a matter of what style do you like better? Do you, we do need to have an do you want to mess with pellets? Do you want to have to fill these little pellets that make a mess everywhere? Do they make a mess? Tell us about it. Okay. Well, so let me, so I don't know if everybody's heard of pellet grills, so let me give you a breakdown of what, how they work. It actually works a lot like a um, combustion power plant. Like basically you have a grill and you plug it into electricity and it's got a hopper full of wood pellets. So these wood pellets are tiny, they almost look like rabbit food and you can get different flavors. You can get mesquite, Probably you can get right. apple, hickory, you can get ones that are a mixture of them. You put them all in this hopper, you start the grill, it lights a firebox in the grill. So it has like a, a, a metal rod that just gets super hot. And then you've got an auger that starts feeding pellets from that big hopper into this firebox. And it lights it, it, it starts combusting, and because they're so small and hard-packed, basically wood sawdust, they incinerate very quickly. And they also smoke when they do that. Um, but because it's electric, they, these now come with a temperature gauge. So you can say, I want to put my grill at 225. And it will feed enough pellets in to get the grill at that. If it gets up to 225 and it starts getting higher than that, say 230, it starts slowing down how many it feeds until it lowers back down. So let me stop right there. So you can set the temperature you want it to be at, and it will automatically adjust the pellet yep. intake so if it gets what heat you want. See, that's the one advantage that Green Egg doesn't have because this is like – That's not the only advantage. That's the only well, one you've heard Green about Egg, so far. you know how it is. You, gotta, you add or take away coal. Yep. And you got to open the and adjust the airflow. Right. All really the equivalent to that would be just adjusting the airflow. That's our gauge. Yeah. That's how we control the heat. Yeah. Which is not a pain. Yeah. It's just that it doesn't do it automatically for you. But yeah. Give me a break. But, you can't open a lid or the airflow lid. Then you're. But you don't have spell. to. So you can if you want to. If you're worried about, you know, opening your lid and and letting too much heat out and things like that, I can literally put a brisket in. Mm-hmm. Turn it to 225 and not open the thing for nine hours. Me too. And me I too. just have to I just have to make sure that like I'll occasionally check a few times, make sure if it needs any more pellets, I'll add it. Um, the other Same thing that's here. interesting about it is some of these electric ones have a lot of bells and whistles. You can get ones that have Wi-Fi, ones that have smartphone apps, so you can actually check the temperature of your grill on your on your smartphone. And you can even put uh, you can even give it commands like you can say, you know, I want you to uh, heat up to 300 degrees. Like, let's say you're doing a pork shoulder. Uh, okay. You can you can say, I want you to heat up to 300 degrees and cook at 300 degrees for 45 minutes. And then I want you to drop down to 225. And I want you to cook until the meat, because it has a probe that you can stick in the meat, until that gets to 180. And then I want you to drop the grill down to 150 and just keep the meat warm. And it will do all of that adjustment for you. You could literally walk away and come back a few hours, make sure there, there's pellets in it, walk away again. 
and not have to lift the lid one time. That's nice. So there is definitely a set it and forget it aspect of this. Um, so Traeger is probably the most popular brand of pellet grills. They uh, received a patent for their design in 1986, had the market basically cornered, but they didn't expand incredibly uh, large. They were basically mostly regionally focused for that time. That expired in 2006, and then boom, came a lot of the different competitors. So I have a Green Mountain Grill um, Jim Bowie model, and there's, a, there's probably 10 or 12 other really popular models for this. Um, but I would say in general that the pellet grill is for people that approach cooking as a science rather than a, an art. There's still art to it, but if you want specific control and you want to be able to watch it from uh, you know, your smartphone while you're across the house or something like that, um, this is really the, the grill for you. You don't have to mess with getting messy with charcoal. You don't have to mess with the airflow. Um, you know, if you were going to cook overnight, you could basically, if you have a, a model that has a big enough hopper, you just fill it up right before you go to sleep and you know it's gonna be the same all night. You don't have to, like a, a lot of guys when they're cooking for uh, you know, a barbecue at 5, 5 p.m. the next day, they'll start at like 9, 9 p.m. The, the day before and have to check their grill every two hours or so. You don't have to do any of that with this. Um, some of the things that I've learned on this though, and this is where we can kind of compare and contrast, the, one of the most important things is you got to make sure you don't run out of fuel. Don't forget to check it and go out and do some errands, go to the store to get some veggies or something because if that thing runs out of fuel, you are toast and it's right. a pain to get it uh, started back up. And you may not know, you may have a brisket that's on its way to like 160, run out of fuel, you come back, it's 100 degrees. Can you use pellets multiple times, the same pellet? No. So once you once the pellets flow in, they're incinerated. So that is the one of the benefits of big coal lumps. That the lump will last uh, for a if, while. If you cook three to five times a week on the green egg, you, a big you know bag of lump coal will last you about two months roughly. Okay. So you're I've reused coal all the time, and I just add more wood chips or maybe add a few more coal pieces, but I don't have to replace the whole thing. Yeah. So after I get my heat where I want it. It stays very consistent. Like yeah. That's the one thing that gets great about the green egg. That is it good. does stay consistent. And again, as we said, if you want to adjust that temperature, there's a little bit of, uh, there's like a metal screen that you just kind of slide open and it adjusts quick. And it stays there. So it's not, it's not like you can't control a green egg, you know, because mm -hmm. there's not a temperature set thing. You well, may just open it up. There are actually, um, like accessories that you can put on a green egg that will do egg that for accessories, you, right? Yes. Egg accessories. That's what they call it. Oh, I guess you're an egghead. Is that right? That's what they say. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of accessories because they're smart and they upsell you just like every brand. But um, you can add all kinds of things like sear plates. Yep. Um, if you want to stake, uh, you want to do half moon stuff. If you want to keep half the grill open for other cook types of cooking. Yeah. You can do like. Um, you could turn it. You got shelving if you need more room, which I haven't needed more room on the on the extra large yet. But um, it's really an ancient clay, clay, ancient clay cooking vessel that style that was designed up over three three thousand years ago. So uh, Green Egg didn't come up with it. You know, um, they just perfected it. Yeah, and or the, perfected the marketing of it. Yeah, um, but it is very fuel efficient. Like I was saying. And the other thing that it's a pro at is that it holds heat extremely well. It's excellent at that? Yes. Would, would you say? Some because would say. it's ceramic, not like your, your uh, whatever you've got, um, pellet, pellet one. It's the ceramic traps in the heat. I will agree with that. So. And what it also does is trap in the bing, bing, bing moisture, which is key to a good piece of meat is the moisture. Um, not being dried out you can taste that it's amazing so what i like to do is i'll have a metal pan you know like a metal throwaway foil foil tray mm -hmm. and i'll fill it with like butter and apple cider vinegar or water or beer even whatever you want to put in there and i put it underneath the meat on the green egg mm -hmm. so it steams and seeps into the meat I'm cooking. Hmm. So that is already juicy to begin with. When you do that, it's like juice fest. Yeah. It's amazing. So do you feel like, can you over smoke something in the green egg? 
Like, do you have to worry about that? I haven't done that, no. I think you probably could oversmoke anything on any grill. Um, but I just, I follow the recipe, you know? I, I stick to what it suggests. I cook it for how long per pound. Mm -hmm. And I've never exceeded that. But I've never taken anything. I'll say this. I did leave something on there too long one time because I had other stuff going on and I intended to take it off earlier and I didn't. And it's, it was a duck, a whole duck, and it still turned out fantastic. Oh, yeah. So even though I smoked it a little longer, it was still great. It wasn't dry. Nice. Uh, but So I will, let me, I'll be upfront about some of the things that I've learned. So here's, here's the lessons learned for you guys that have pellet grills or are thinking about getting them. Um, you do still have to, uh, like I said, you gotta make sure you don't run out of fuel. Um, my grill does have hot spots like other grills. So one of the things I didn't mention too is it does have a convection fan in there to spread the, the smoke and to spread the heat around. So basically, it works a lot like a convection oven. Imagine that you have a convection oven in your backyard that you can use wood pellets to um, give it a certain flavor. Mm -hmm. That's basically what you have. So you've got automatic temperature control, you've got convection to circulate. So it is pretty even, but there, depending on how you set up your, your grill, if you use foil to cover certain parts of it, you can still end up with one side of the grill being 25, 50 right. degrees hotter. And sometimes that actually works out to your favor. So like if I'm cooking brisket or ribs and a chicken, I can put the chicken on the side that's hotter right. and cook it at a much more appropriate temperature. So the green egg, they have dividers if you want, but the green egg, what you could do is put more coal on one side yeah. versus the other and have yep. a different meat on that side. If you, you can get kind of two temperatures going. And you can also do that with the, with the pellet grill. You can shift the firebox a little bit and, yeah. and that'll cause it to be hotter or colder. And on the technology side, even with Green Egg, there's apps you can download that, um, you know, that will help you alert you if your meat's a certain temperature, things like that, you can be inside. Now is that based on like the, the, the thermometer that you have or is that something that's part of the Green Egg? There are Green Egg apps, but specifically there's thermometers um, that do that as well, that you download the app that goes with the thermometer. So don't buy a grill just because it alerts you. you there's thermometers that do that. Yeah. And that's what they're in business for. So you could be inside watching a movie and oh, it's time. So I will tell you one thing to make sure you do use food grade pellets. Don't use the cheap ones. They yeah. have, they have pellets for heaters. Those are made from things like shredded pallets yep. and scrap wood. They've got toxins in them. Don't Same do that. Same with the coal. Uh, green use egg. the big lump coal. Get either coal from your green egg uh, distributor or just get natural, you know, I guess organic is, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But no pesticides, no no sprays on there, no, no lighter fluid. You're drinking cancer if you're using lighter fluid. So it's like, Get things like that. It's worth the extra bucks for the not having a big hospital bill later. Have, right? Haven't you heard? I think it's George Carlin. I like some cancer in my food. Comedy <laughs> bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. One of the things I will say is the Wi-Fi piece of, of the pellet grill sounds cool, and it really is. It's really useful. But to be honest, it can be a little temperamental at times. If you are in a house and you've got your, your Wi-Fi router on the opposite side from where your grill is, it may have a tough time getting a connection. Um, you also have to do firmware updates sometimes to get new features. Um, and honestly, there have been times where I haven't had the Wi-Fi part turned on or I haven't been able to get it turned on because of not getting a good connection. And it's easier for me to just go ahead and start cooking. And I still get to use the automatic temperature regulation. I just don't have it going through an app because at that particular time I just want to get the cook started and, and get it done quickly. Um, I still use the gas grill that I have to do direct heat or searing so um, like with ribs what I'll do is I'll cook it low and slow on the pellet grill and right at the end when it's done I'll slather a little sauce on put it on a preheated grill at like 700 degrees for a minute just to just to caramelize the outside. Um, and, and another thing that I learned the hard way is get the smallest grill that you can stand. So I got talked into getting a bigger grill because it was a display model and I think they just wanted to record a sale, which is great. I've got a lot of room to work with and like dollar for dollar, if you have two grills that are the same price, the big green egg is gonna be a little bit smaller as far as grill space than the pellet grill is. Um, but you can, get, you can get trays for each of those to, to change that. But what I would say is because of the weight when you're moving it around 
And because the amount of pellets that you use is related to how hot it is outside and the size of your grill, if you have a big grill, but you're only ever cooking like one rack of ribs for you and your wife, then you're gonna be heating up a large space of grill for no reason and just using extra pellets. So if you have big parties and tons of people over all the time, go for the big one. But if you're really only barbecuing for a, a small family or just a couple, I would definitely uh, suggest going for a, a little bit smaller one. Um, like you said, um, there's a lot of different options on these things. So look for the bigger hopper, the better, ones that come with meat probes, um, ones that come with shelves and hooks, um, ones that come with the, 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 the more variable of the temperature setting, um, the, the better. Some of them go up a little bit higher. And you know, a lot of the accessories I mentioned, they have the same for the, uh, the, the big green egg as well. And so, do you know anything about the history of the Big Green Egg, like how it came to the U.S. and like how long it's been around? I know they started manufacturing them back in the 60s um, in the U.S. Um, so that was a little bit earlier than the pellet growth, like 20 or so years earlier. Yeah. Um, so then, um, these, these grills were discovered overseas. Um, and then returned to the U.S. Uh, eventually in 1974, they officially started Big Green Egg Company, like the brand. But like like we, any any good American product, we took it from someone else. And yeah. Now I don't know in the it, '60s what it, it was like named, but basically the concept of that 3,000 year old type of style has been was brought to the U.S. officially in the '60s. But um, what a brand it's become, I'll tell you what. But what did you find on health stuff? Like I know there's char, there's smoke, there's uh, marinating, mar like rubs and stuff. Like some of it's crap. Like what are your thoughts on we want to eat meat. That's not going to change. But how do we – some things you can control and some things you can't. So – how do we control these things and what should we use? Yeah, so like I said earlier, recently, probably the past couple of years, every time I've gone out for barbecue, mm -hmm. I'm like, man, this is so good. This fatty brisket just melts in my mouth and it right. tastes wonderful. But am I taking a month off my life by eating this? Right. And I always worried because, you know, anytime you have food that's really charred, you think about, am I just eating cancer, basically? And is this gonna, is this gonna do something bad to me? So one of the things that I found is so char is definitely a, a cancer-causing compound. So if you have meat, you grill it until it's nice and black, you get your steak you know, medium well and, and it's really charred. What you're eating is heterocyclic amines called HCAs. And the more of that char that's created, the more carcinogens are gonna be coating your food. And um, it can cause an increased risk, uh, increased risk of all types of cancers. But one of the other things that's, you know, in addition to the char that's also challenging is smoke. So barbecue smoke can contain, I'm going to butcher this word, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, PAHs, which are chemicals that can damage your lungs. And basically what happens is as meat cooks, when fat drips down and hits coals, it, that steams up and that's what creates these PAHs. And so if you like to stand over the grill and smell what you're cooking, you're actually inhaling toxins there. And this is where, you know, barbecuing over a gas grill is more susceptible to this. I think barbecuing mm. over a green egg would be more susceptible to this, but when you smoke on a green egg, you put a plate down, right, to make the heat indirect. Yeah, so that's really indirect heat. That's the way and, I do and it. Same thing with pellet grills It's like too. a clay or whatever, uh, you know, looks like a big Frisbee and you yeah. lay the meat on top of that. So it's indirect meat, it blocks out some of the smoke, um, but... That was one of the big benefits of the pellet grill that I didn't mention, is that there is no direct heat. It's not right. possible for anything to drip yeah. down onto a flame, so there's never any flare-ups. Yeah, that doesn't happen with green egg either. Um, so then another thing that's uh, a little bit of a risk is advanced glycation in products, which are called AGEs, ages. Some, so these are harmful to your cells and they're associated with cell stress and aging. Um, now whoever came up with this, an acronym called AGES that talks about things that make your cells age, I gotta meet that person because that's the type of joke that's right in line with my sense of humor here. 
Um, so these are all the risks, right? Char, smoke, and harmful byproducts. So what are some of the ways that we can avoid these? Yeah, so what can you do? Um, supposedly, cooking the, coating the meat in herbs uh, before you cook it with rub containing rosemary, thyme, and pepper, um, or smothering with thick marinades not only adds delicious flavor, but it can help reduce the creation of carcinogens in the grilling by up to 96%, which is awesome. So there's something you can do about it. I was you don't so have to excited to hear meat. this. So yeah. the more bark that you have on your brisket, so bark is actually the seasoning that's getting cooked, um, just for, for most people that may not know that. So the thicker bark that you have, the, the, the less likely you are to get carcinogens, and it also can reduce the risk of fat um, dripping down and, and smoke and char. And so it can help prevent all of those bad chemicals, the HCAs, the PAHs, and the AGEs. Um, so basically, b the more flavor that you put on it can reduce your risk on that. So that was great for me to hear. Now I don't feel like I have to watch out for barbecue as, as much as I did. And I think that's because like a thick marinade or tasty marinade, you know, it reduces the dripping of fat. And so therefore the fat doesn't hit the coals and therefore the smoke is not as much. Um, and so that that's pretty amazing. And then when it comes to pre-cooking your meat, um, I never I never do that. But, I know, yeah. So this um, tip was something that was recommended. It said basically if you pre-cook, um, it, it it lessens the amount of fat that can drip down and smoke. But yeah, but if you're gonna I, smoke it, like you don't want to yeah, pre-cook it. Like so. you're like if you're pre if you're cooking low and slow on a pellet grill or a green egg, you're you're already doing that. Anyway. But here's another good tip you can apply is mar like when we said marinating, you can actually marinate the food in alcohol, like beer or wine, or uh, before barbecuing it, because according to research, it says by the Journal of Agricultural Food and chemistry, soaking meat in beer, right, a marinade of beer, or mm -hmm. wine, whatever, especially stout or black beer for some reason, reduces the creation of cancer-causing carcinogens when it is grilled by 50%. So and if you're doing that, soaking it in alcohol before, and then adding a marinade, your chances go down of this like black charcoal like scab on your meat basically. And so if you're soaking yourself in, in alcohol by drinking as you barbecue, maybe that helps reduce that risk too? I, I guess know. so. Um, yeah, I may have to experiment with that because I've never really done a, an alcohol-based marinade. Um, again, another thing that, that can help you, particularly if you're on an old school like Weber charcoal grill or a, or a natural gas grill is put something down like the foil pot or the foil pan that Kel will be mentioned or, the, or, or just even a layer of foil, just something to make an indirect barrier to reduce the drippings that, that hit and yeah. combust. Um, and then the last thing that we found is grilled veggies. Yeah. That was an interesting one. Those so. are so good. And what's interesting is grilled vegetables do not contain the HCA carcinogens even when they're charred. So char away on your onions. You know your fajita skillet. Yeah, good to go, man. Dude, just eat, all that, eat all of that. If you've ever had a charred goodness. grilled onion, it's almost caramelized. It's, it's amazing. So wonderful. I've even done pineapple and charred that. Oh, really? It's actually pretty good. You can do like a little Korean style, um, don't or Hawaiian style with the pork and whatever. Um, but I think that was interesting. And plus, vegetables are always great for you. If you're gonna eat some meat, you know, it's always nice to have some kind of veggie with it that's grilled. So. All right. Nice. You got anything else? I think that's it. Um, you know, I'm just would look forward to what you drink w with barbecue, which is maybe a nice bottle of red wine or maybe a good smooth bourbon. So, or a beer point, if it's if you're in the heat. Or a beer for sure, a craft beer. So I yeah. think I'd like to dig into like a uh, a bourbon podcast sometime or something let's do it i'm up for it you're gonna have to take the lead on that because i am more of a consumer and less of a connoisseur on that but i'm definitely open for talking about it um so anyway in summary we we hit a bunch of points here like i said tons of data it'll all be available in the show notes uh you can check that out at uh, at the website for the love of data.com um, you can also hit me up on twitter at love of data um is there anywhere people can contact you if you'd like them to yeah i'm on twitter i don't know my handles off the top of my head we'll put um, it on the show notes yeah instagram the face 
all that stuff. The book of face. Right. Um, well, thanks for joining us, man, and yeah. and, and thanks for. Uh, Talking about the the big green egg and all the things that it's good at, and, and conceding that the the pellet grill is just a little bit cooler and better as far as science and features and everything. Do I get paid for so, my time, or how does this work? Uh, I'll pay you in barbecue, man. The next time we, <laughs> next time I grill, I'll have you over. I'm just kidding. And and we do we really do need to figure out a um, a time to do that. All things being equal, rib rib cook off or something. Yeah. And, I'll come back on on the on the, one of the next episodes and give an update on that. Yeah, so. that'd be great. All right, guys. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Um, if you like this episode, please uh, leave us a comment on the show notes or on Twitter or on uh, iTunes. Um, please give us a rating there. We would really appreciate the feedback. And if you have topics that you would like to discuss, um, please get in touch. We'd be happy to. Um, to take a topic and do a deep dive on it or um, you know if it's something that you have an interest in maybe bring you on the show uh, until next time this is for the love of data have a great day Takes me to school.